Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. So if you're listening for the first time, um, we talk about publishing and marketing in this, ep- in this podcast, and we give motivational quotes and lots of info on the craft of writing itself based on bad and good movies. And the movie we are doing today is Finding Forrester, which if you're a writer and you have not seen, I call you to repentance. You need to see it. It's a fantastic movie. Um, any updates from us? Mm, no. We did a box set. Oh, yeah. The box set. It went really well. Um, what I did was I, I, I've i had over the last few years readers request that I box up my work in the order that I have I wrote and published it. And I finally did that. And it encapsulated books that I wrote from 2011 through 2014. Not everything in 2014 ended up in it. But they all followed the same theme, which was my Clinic Chronicles. And I sell it to readers directly for $9.99, and it went much better than expected, which is pretty cool. It's always exciting to find out that your readers, even the ones that buy everything you write, are willing to buy everything you write. I put in a new, a new novella in it, and then a whole bunch of additional comments and quotes, and not quotes, but comments and stories and things like that for my life. I, I told the actual story of how I found an agent, including the stuff that I don't normally tell people like how I how I know the person and things like that anyway it it went really well we were pretty excited about that I do have to say that today's been a really rough pregnancy day and I'm not feeling very motivated or very cheerful and so here's my motivational quote and tip for you you're going to be pregnant for the rest of your lives I certainly hope not. Uh, I'm I'm tired of being nauseated. Today was one of those days where I was so nauseated that I took an extra anti-nausea pill. And these are the ones, those of you who've been there, they make you groggy and tired. And so I just spent the whole day on the couch today and read The Martian, which at Josh's request, I'd been planning on reading it, but I finally started it last night about halfway through it so far. And that's actually going to be one of the movies we're going to be doing up here soon. And Josh will be a guest a guest person on it again. Um, we're also going to be doing, I don't know what order, um, Strictly Ballroom. And we decided rather than do Di- Divergent itself alone, we're going to do the entire Divergent trilogy. We probably will be doing that one next week. Anyway, just because there's a lot to go over in that. In that but I don't want to do devote an episode to each individual movie. I think it'll be good to go like series, you know, through the whole thing. Anyway, do you have a quote for us today? I do. The trouble with most people is they think with their hopes, fears, or wishes rather than with their minds. William Durant. Yeah. So why'd you choose that? I chose it because um, I was talking to somebody who shall remain nameless, and they were mentioning outliers in their field. By that, I mean someone who was like an overnight success. Yes, overnight successes are... We all wish we were them, but almost none of us are. Even very successful authors, by successful, I'm going to say six figures and up. They're not overnight successes. Are generally not overnight successes. Yep. But they get to do what they want to do and make a living doing it. Um, So don't plan on being a one-hit wonder. I think that's what some people get stuck on. They put their heart and soul into that one book. Yeah, or that and, one series they expected to carry their career. And uh, that never happens, and they get disappointed. Um, but you know what? Your first book is probably not a masterpiece, unlike 
the character in the movie we will be talking about. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Which it wasn't. I mean, he'd he'd been writing his whole entire life. Certainly, it's not the first thing he ever wrote, but yeah. it is. It was his first and only, not only book. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's a little bit of a spoiler, but wah, wah. <laughs> sorry, I ruined an eighteen-year-old movie for you. Yeah, no kidding. Um, okay, so I'm going to read that quote again. It says, The trouble with most people is they think with their hopes, fears, or wishes rather than with their minds. I'm going to say right now that it is very hard to be rational when you are in a bad place emotionally. And pregnancy puts you in a bad place emotionally. If you're really stressed, like our move put us in a bad place emotionally. The flip house put us in a bad place. It's really, really difficult not to base all of your decisions on fears or hopes or wishes. And... The problem with, with making decisions when you are emotional, it they generally backfire. When you put like everything, I think that's one of the tips I give in, in my Big Bang Promotions book, it's that is that you need to be in a good place in order to make marketing plans that will work and that will last. And you need, you need to be in a good place in order to create promotions that will be successful. Don't do those sorts of things out of desperation. Do them because you are you are actually being logical about it so that's a really good um quote for today i'm going to go ahead and give the tip if that's okay mm -hmm. okay so it's a continuation of talking about editors we're going to be talking about finding editors today and possibly the next episode and maybe the one after that one, the, one of the best ways to find an editor is to go through other authors in your genre. So you you basically, so you want to check out the book, you know, the books in your genres, the ones that are doing well, read them to make sure that the editing is up to par, and then approach those authors and ask them who edits their books. And, remi and remember that... Do they have sometimes the editor listed in the... Almost never. Sometimes in the acknowledgments, but a lot of authors don't do acknowledgments anymore. I don't do acknowledgments anymore because they are always the exact same people. I was writing the same acknowledges for every book after like you reach like a certain number of books and it doesn't change. And it's like, okay, this is pointless. So I dedicate my books to different people instead of writing acknowledgments. And a lot of authors are doing that now. And so one thing you'll want to keep in mind is that authors will hold their valuable people close to themselves. So like cover designers or editors, because if they pass out that information, then it makes it so that their editor or cover designer will be busy and won't be able to work with them as easily. But ask enough people and you'll get some answers. Uh, you can also go ask in writers groups. So search online and ask other writers about their about their editors and, and the groups that they're in. And then inside those groups, you can ask. And then also cre consider creating a group of your own and then asking there. The 20 books to 50K group is a good one to ask because there's so many writers there. Um, my book, Bub Promotions Morn Group, would also be a good one to ask because there's a lot of authors in there. So that's how you can find editors through other authors. You can also, some editors actually will tell you who they who they edit. They'll put on their websites who they edit for. Very, very rarely does an editor do that, but you can still Google, you know, who edits or whatever, such and such author. And anyway, th so that's today's tip. Do you have any comments on that? No, that's good advice. Um, Similar to cover artists where you find a good cover and then find out who did it and ask them. Exactly. And one thing I've noticed that I'm, I'm, I've been using the same editor for a very long time, but there's been a couple of times where she's unable to help on a project. And so it's been necessary for me to find other editors. And I'm going to say right now, it never goes away, the, the need for a good editor. You find a good one and something happens and you need to find a new one. So even if you've been doing this for a long time, it's still good to remember 
and to keep um, doors open for new editors. Pay, pay attention when people talk about editors that they're, they've been working with who have been good. All right, so we're going to go on to the movie now. It's Finding Forrester, as we said. And rather than, I, I'll give a quick setup, but rather than talk about the characters in the normal way, we're going to talk about them in a different way, and you'll see in just a minute. But Finding Forrester is about Jamal, who is a black kid from the Bronx who is talented and very smart, and he's a good writer. And he gets accepted to a private school, and William Forrester, a famous author, ends up coaching him in his writing. And it's a fantastic story if you've never seen it. But what I want to do with the characters, I don't want to talk about them so much as I want to talk about the antagonist and protagonist relationships in the story. And I'm going to give three different examples, and then we can talk about character development using those three examples. So we've got the, the third one is Jamal and Professor Crawford. The second one is Jamal and his intelligence. And then the third, or the first, is William Forrester and the public. And so William Forrester's major protagonist is the public, anybody outside of his apartment. Antagonist, yes. His antagonistic relationship is with everybody outside of his apartment. And Jamal, his, his antagonist relationship is basically with his, um, his intelligence, trying to hide it from people, being at odds with it, not willing to accept it, wanting to be accepted on the basketball court instead of accepted because he's intelligent. And he hides it from his friends. And then, of course, Jamal and Professor Crawford, that's probably the biggest noticeable protagonist and antagonistic relationship. So um, comments on Forrester and, and his and the public and all that. He's a grouch old man. He is. Nolan actually said he's going to be Forrester in a couple of years. Yep. <laughs> you know, he just watches everyone out his window. He's a shut-in. Yeah. Like his food and mail are brought to him and stuff like that. And everybody knows that he lives there and that he watches them. They just don't know who he is. They know that he's there. They know that he's got these binoculars. He's they just call staring. him the window. Yeah, the window, which is very Johnny Deppish. <laughs> and um, Jamal and his intelligence, I mean, he's smart and he's hiding it from his friends. Like his class, you know, he gets perfect scores, but on his homework... He averages a C on purpose. Well, on his grades are Cs, but they have to take a standardized test. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, he gets like pretty Perfect much scores on those. Right. Oops. Yeah. But I mean, it's, he's probably, it's enough of a challenge to him where he wants to prove himself in some way. And so he's quiet where his friends can see, you know, his friends, they talk about grades. You know, you get a C, he's not going to be noticed by his friends as being smart. But as they said in the movie, basketball is where he gets his acceptance. So talk about, tell, let's, tell me about Forrester and his his character development when it comes to his personal antagonist. The public? Um, I mean, he doesn't end up loving the public, <laughs> anybody. I mean, he, that's not... Jamal. Know. He ends up loving Jamal. Jamal, he does. Uh, but I'm the, that's the one person... He comes he to accept. He makes a connection with him. Mm -hmm. That does let him become not a shut-in. Yeah. But it's not like he's like a super extrovert afterwards. No, but he comes to accept and he functions around people again. He was not functionable before Jamal. No, then there's a scene where he has like a panic attack. They take he takes him to a, like a Yankees game or something. A sports game. I don't. They never quite get there, so I'm not sure. I think it was basketball, but mm, yeah, that's true. Because um, the next thing that he takes him to it's is the Yankees game. baseball field. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I mean these. These characters are, it's kind of like a romance. 
<laughs> Honestly, yeah, I was thinking this. They're they're different people with some things in common. Yeah. They build trust mm-hmm. over time and eff- they take a lot of effort. <laughs> they actually have to try to forge a relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, um Forrester read some of Jamal's writing and liked it at yeah. least enough to be intrigued. Yeah. To where he could go with it. Yeah. And you know, corrects it with a red pen and everything. Mm-hmm. And um constipated thinking where are you taking me yeah and then um you know uh, challenges Forrester or challenges Jamal to write some more yeah uh, kind of in an offhanded way and then Forrester actually does it yeah exactly so he didn't expect that he never mm-hmm. expected to see him again he thought that would get rid of him mm-hmm. but didn't yep so and anyway once he's he does get in the door that way and then they fight a lot <laughs> it's so awesome in there um because the only person a forcer interacts with regularly is somebody from like the publishing company i guess or some sort of assistant the guy who buys his or, groceries and socks yeah but he's like wealthy yeah he, he must is be from a law firm or something no because matt damon is the law is the he's one of them lawyer at a law firm maybe because that guy yeah they never explain who he is drives a bmw that's not an assistant no well it's at least bmw assistants can lease i suppose that's true (laughs) with his fancy driving gloves and everything it's kind of (laughs) silly you're not a race car driver no anyway so they, they they have to go through stuff together yeah and they form trust mm-hmm. that trust is shaken yeah um some well, one promise is broken the other is kept yeah and the bigger one cost. Yes. yeah the other one is the bigger promise um you yes. can tell what they are I okay mean. uh for uh forster makes jamal promise that whatever they write together whatever he writes in the apartment, in the apartment, stays can, in the apartment. can never leave yeah and um he has an assignment due, and he spends a lot of time writing. And it's a writing assignment, so he turns one in that he wrote in that the he wrote apartment. in the apartment, and it's really good. And that's a big change from his earlier writing. So the professor thinks he's cheating. Yeah, and but he won't tell him how he got so good. Yeah, he won't tell him that he's actually got a mentor now. Yes, who he is has. Fantastic. He has. To, he had talent, but the mentor helped develop his talent in a very short period of time. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's Professor Crawford is the main antagonist of the story like the most visible one the literary snooty guy yes and he's actually based on a real professor <laughs> and they name who the real professor is and i'm like i wouldn't be Ouch. <laughs> i know i'm like it, the way they did it was made it sound like the pref- professor was okay with it i'm like i wouldn't be okay with that he's a jerk <laughs> yeah but maybe the professor they base it on is just snooty enough where he's like yes that's exactly right <laughs> yes anyway uh the bigger promise is kept where he's he would never tell um about Forrester, because he's kind of like a, not a missing person, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just dropped off the face of the earth. Nobody knows where he is, and he yeah. liked it that way. And he's sometimes cashes his checks that he gets. He doesn't even do it all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that guy, he's got to be from the like publisher. Like an firm or something? I don't yeah, know. He's, maybe he's in a, he's like the actual publisher's assistant, because they'd be making enough money. Yeah, but... Because he's he, like, they say you didn't cash your last check, you know, because right, he actually has that information. Yes. But he also doesn't know who he is. Because he uses a different name. Oh, did he? I totally mm-hmm. missed that. His name's like Mr. Jorgensen or something like oh, that. I, oh, that's right. Yeah, I totally, totally So the assistant that. doesn't know that that's Forrester. Forrester. Yeah. I wonder how the publisher's keeping that quiet. Just, oh, I, 
don't know. They do. They keep their, their authors. They don't want readers contacting authors. No. And so they've been doing this for like a hundred years. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, it's very different now with the internet. You want to contact, you know, you want your fans talking to you. Well, authors Not aren't about, yeah, authors still, with traditional publishers, they're still very... Aloof. They are aloof, and they also, their publishers sometimes discourage it because it takes control out of the publisher's hand. True. Then they can't craft the image of the author to yeah. their liking. Um, don't go with traditional publishers. I guess we just said that. Well, uh, I guess know. it's fine. I but, mean, the um, podcast is called Self-Published Strong, yeah. but I mean, what we talk about can be applied to pretty much anybody. The tone, you know. I mean, it is a fact, though. I mean, it, it is. is a fact that the publishers, it's just like any pop star or anything like that. There's a persona mm-hmm. that's projected, you know, you're a brand. Yeah, exactly. And uh, publishers will guard that jealously. Yep. Um, anyway. Yeah, uh, so Jamal comes to grips with his intelligence he's and i love the way it happens he doesn't lose his friendships in the pro in the process you know he just becomes busy but it's not like in step up you know the first step up movie where channing tatum's character they become like worst enemies for a little while they fight all the time and then they make up you know in this one there's their friends you know they they fight constantly and their friends yeah friendship develops but and it's not even that they don't Stop being grouchy to each other. Yeah. Because, I mean, Forrester's a grouchy guy. He's not not going to be not grouchy. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about Jamal and his Bronx oh, friends, his Bronx like friends. his high school friends. Yeah, they just drift apart over time. Mm-hmm. Without a huge major riff. And then they, you know, he comes back and he plays basketball with them again towards the end. Exactly. Because uh, one of the things that happens with Forrester is he goes back to, um, he's from Scotland and he decides to go visit. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't want to forget where he came from. Yeah. He wanted to. And the same thing with Jamal. He goes back to, you know, he's going to this hoity-toity fancy school. But and um, he does come back partway through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's like, oh, you grace us with your presence, hey? And yeah. Then they just kinda, and then they just play. And they just ignore him because they've moved on, too. Mm. But at the very end yeah. of the movie, they do play together. Yeah. Again, so he's he doesn't, you know, he doesn't sever his relationship with like his mother or his mm-hmm. brother which he has a very good relationship with yeah which is pretty cool buster rhymes like they're they have healthy relationships he does his yeah, mom his, his, his brother. mother and his brother are very supportive of everything he does mm-hmm. yeah cool. basketball and academics which is pretty cool yeah usually they have like the older brother be the screw up or yeah. something like that and he's not he's got like a regular person job yeah he's a cool guy and he cares about his brother he's like i love you be safe out there you yeah know. no kidding um because he knows it's, you know, they're from enough neighborhood, rough yeah. neighborhood. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's a falling out. And then, you know, Forrester comes out of a shell to help his friend. Because yeah. he's going to get kicked out of school for plagiarism mm-hmm. and for cheating. Well, neither of which are true. Yeah. Because he did write, he did take some of Forrester's He took Forrester's work. title in the first paragraph. Right. And then... And that was part of a writing prompt. He like, here, start with this, and then you'll go off on your own at some point. Yeah. And um, so he had permission. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, writes a really good whatever. Mm-hmm. You never get literary. That. Yes. Something literary. Exactly. And and so they are. He did have permission to use part of Forrester's work, but not to turn it in as an assignment. Yeah, as his own, which he wasn't doing. He just kind of did it on a. a panic yeah i guess um and um so yeah forrester leaves his house and goes and you know um sets everyone straight yeah well because the school's accusing jamal of plagiarism and they're going to kick him out but they have the competition and before the board meeting 
that determines will determine whether Jamal can stay and Forrester shows up and that's yeah and reads uh, reads a letter he wrote to him that's one of that's my my one of my favorite scenes in the movie there's two favorite scenes of mine in the movie the first is the BMW scene where the assistant like paranoid about his BMW and Jamal's like oh yeah you think I'm gonna I'm not gonna rob your car and and the guy's like it's a BMW and Jamal's like oh so you don't think I know anything about BMWs and then he gives the whole history of how BMW started and then that scene's followed up with the guy in Forster's apartment and seeing Jamal in there you know oh, yes. it's pretty awesome and then so that's my first favorite and then my second favorite is when Forrester shows up to the writing competition and reads Jamal's apology letter. Which I would say is the climax. Climax of the movie, yes. So let's talk about the opening scene for a little bit. Um, the things I notice most about it is that it's slow, it's thoughtful, it sets the tone for the movie. So there's rapping, there's Bronx, it's pensive, it's not bright and happy. Um, it's intelligent, it's not, it's not flashy or showy, and that's pretty much the whole movie, which is... You know. Yes, this is not a, a flashy movie at all. Mm-mm, it's not. And another thing that that I noticed, um, there's se- they do several things that set the tone throughout the first few scenes. The clothes, the music, nothing dates the movie. They have very, very brief touches on cars and on the clothes where you can be like, oh, that was, you know, but they don't even show the actual make of the BMW. They just show the model, you know, that it's a BMW. And the music is all music from the 60s, 70s, or even earlier, like early 1900s and late 1800s. And so it doesn't date the movie. So it feels like it could have been made five years ago instead of 18 years ago. Because the kids in the snobby school are wearing uh, uniforms. And then Jamal with his friends are all wearing sweaters that, you know, are very nondescript. And so, and then Forrester wears 1970s clothes. And then the guy was wearing a suit. And so... They, they did a lot of, and kind of following up what we talked about last week, you know, they did a lot of, they put a lot of emphasis on not dating the movie. We can't say so very 90s about this. No, no. Even though it was done in 2000, if this had been like a, you know, chick flick, the, you know, not even the way the girls Something do their a hair, more you know. Pop, pop culture-y. Exactly, yeah. Like the last movie we did. Yep. What was the last movie we did? 10 Things I Hate About yeah, You. Yeah, 10 Things I Hate About You. I should have said that anyway because people... <laughs> Might not remember, but that movie is so very 90s. It is very 90s. Okay, so what was the inciting incident? I have, I know, I'm pretty sure what it is, but... Um, being caught by Forrester breaking into this place on yeah. there. Jamal entering Forrester's apartment, Forrester's apartment. That was what I was saying. I was like, it could be the test scores, but no, that's establishing normal. He's He always does well on the official test scores. And then he gets attention from the... The private school, but that doesn't start the story. What starts the story is his relationship with Forrester. Right, because he would have gone to the school anyway. Yep, exactly. Well, he was considering he, it. Forrester does push him towards push him it. Towards like it, that but, question that he has inside him. He's like, yeah, he's like, you already know where you are isn't where you should be, so you already know you're going to that school, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's. Uh, I'm going to compare and contrast um, ten things I hate about you with this. Okay, go ahead. So. 10 Things I Hate About You It is about what's-her-face. Yeah. Main girl. What's her Cat. Name? Cat has a huge arc. Yeah. Patrick, not so much. Mm-hmm. We find out about him, but he doesn't change a lot, would you say? Patrick. Um, was it? Oh, Patrick and 10 Things, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
He doesn't really change. No, he doesn't change. And that's similar to this movie. I mean, he does come to like Cat instead yeah. of just doing it for the money. Mm-hmm. But that didn't really, he didn't have to change to do that. No, his only change comes from liking, comes to, I mean, it's just him liking Cat. Exactly. In this, we have two people that are very different with like some common overlap. In this, to, as in yes, this movie, in Finding, this movie Forster. Finding okay. Forster. Two very different people come together. Yeah. So instead of one person having a huge arc, these two people have an arc where they become friends. Where yeah. you would not expect some 70-year-old guy from Scotland and a 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. And a 16-year-old from the Bronx. Yeah, I mean, they have everything have opposite. Exactly. Writing is the only commonality they share. Everything else is completely opposite. But they use, they use that to see the value in everything else. Yeah. But Jamal doesn't really change. His um, personality is pretty much the same. He, I would say Forrester is the one who has that's true. the character development. I mean... I mean, Forster does change. He comes to accept himself and his um, that he's he writes another book and, and, and publishes it. I mean, certainly he has a very big arc, and and Jamal would, you, is you, the one who brings about that change in Forrester. That's true. So that makes me ask: Is Jamal really the main character? I mean, Forrester is the one that has the biggest arc. He's the one that, but I mean, Jamal is. I want to say it's a little. We his follow Jamal the most. His potential is realized because of Forrester. Yeah. He wouldn't be who he is without him. Yeah. So, I mean, that is a little bit of character development. Um, and the story does follow him the most. But, I mean, generally, where the most movement is is where the most interest is, which it makes it the most the biggest main character. We spend most of our time with Jamal. Exactly. And see things from his perspective. Yeah. But he does, I mean, he does change quite a bit. Yeah. He comes to accept himself and he Not accepts. just that. He doesn't, he doesn't ditch his old friends or life no but i think that's part of who he is like his dad ditched him he didn't ditch he's he's that, right. he's a loyal person by yeah. nature but i mean forrester sets that example too yeah I mean, by going back you know mm-hmm. anyway yeah yeah because forrester kept, kept writing the whole time he only ever published the one book that everyone knows he's famous for but he never but he published never stopped writing else. he's got file folders or just drawers and drawers and like by year of the stuff he's written which just astounds me because I, I enjoy hearing what people like readers think of my stuff and I don't feel accomplished until my book has been published. Like, I just feel like it's wasted time. Well, we did talk about our goal should be completing projects, yeah. not working hard on them. And then never doing. I mean, the thing is, like some writers, they write for themselves. I write for myself because I find joy in it and it's my passion. But I also write because I have people who expect me to write. And they find joy, and I find joy when they do. And so, I'm now that I've been doing this, I just can't stop. Well, you know? For- Forrester certainly likes that people read his book. Yes. He actually gets very snooty about it. Yes, he does. Jamal's like, well, back back when, when people were reading your book, used to read your book. He's like, oh, really? Excuse me. <laughs> and he kicks him out, and he's like, go see if you can borrow one from the library. And he's and he goes, and there's 25 copies, and they're all checked out. And he's like, and they're like, would you like to be on the waiting list? It could take a couple months. <laughs> and when he gets back, Forrester's like, so did you get on the waiting list? <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, you owe me dinner. <laughs> or whatever he has to buy him, but they bet dinner on it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So he does like to be read. Yes, he does. <laughs> well, that book, it's like his little, it's his ego trip. And that's another thing. A lot of authors, well, they don't write books that are that are masterpieces. And so they write once and then it disappears. Forrester's book, right, he wrote once and he's still getting positive feedback on it. And so he probably doesn't feel the need, unlike Robert Crawford, you know, the teacher who's forgotten and, you know, Wrote a book once that got, didn't get published because yeah. Forrester was a jerk. <laughs> Sabotaged it. Which I'm like, self-publish! <laughs> Except in 2000, it wasn't a plausible, but... Uh, no. 
Yeah, that's pretty funny. It is. It's really funny. I'm like, you, that's such a back, that's so awful. Well, he was writing about him, though. Oh, that's right. He was and doing he's like, like four authors, and three were dead, and Forrester was, was alive. alive. And he's like, that's not, and he was writing about Forrester, and Forrester read part of it. And he was like, Because no. he applied to the same publisher, and the publisher was like, here's the part about you. And he's like, that's not right. And so he wrote them, and then he wrote a bunch of other publishers, and was like, I'm going to be writing a new book. If you want to bid on it, you don't publish this guy's book. Yeah, pretty much. He's like, but you never wrote a second book. And they're like, they didn't know that. <laughs> no kidding. Except he does at the end. Yeah. Called Sunset. Okay, so I'm going to go on to trivia now. Sure. And then we can do our top takest, top biggest takeaways. Man, I butcher that every time. Okay, so there's only actually two things of data trivia. and Let's see. So Sean Connery can't type. They had to use someone else's hands in the typing scenes. And so but you never like, see what he's typing, so you don't have to. You can just smash the keys. It doesn't even matter. Exactly. And then Forrester's, the data that Forrester or that Jamal looks up on Forrester is actually Sean Connery's information, <laughs> like his birth date, where he was born, all of that, where he grew up. And the pictures are all him. So, which is awesome if you've got an, a longtime actor, you can access that kind of stuff, you know, yeah, very easily. And then, I mean, this wasn't trivia, but it was something that you get in the extras. Um, so Rob, his name is Rob Brown, I think. Jamal, the character, play, guy who plays Jamal. He was, he the only reason he auditioned to be in the movie was to pay a cell phone bill. And um, they, he caught the eye of Gus Van Sant, whatever the director's name was. And the director's like, hey, you could be actually the main character. And so he had him audition opposite Sean Connery, which, by the way, I would, I would, it would be intimidating. It would be incredibly intimidating. He has quite a bit of experience. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so they said wow, that he's... James Bond. <laughs> yes. They said that Jamal was... That Rob was a, nat- a natural and that he could play basketball. And so they needed somebody who could play and who was natural. Which is good. Yeah. We didn't talk about his basketball rival, but that's okay. No. Um, okay. So I have to say that when Jamal sees the picture of Forrester when he was his in his James Bond days. Yes. I didn't recognize him as Sean Connery. <laughs> I don't Some see. 50 years ago. With those huge caterpillar eyebrows that were dark, and he's, I, that's, there's no way I would have put two and two together. So, unless he was like, oh, that looks like Sean Connery from back in his James <laughs> Bond days. <laughs> yes. You want to go ahead and give your takeaways. Characterization. What done about very it? well in this movie. Yeah. Pay attention. Yeah, it's done very well. So how's that a takeaway for authors? These characters are themselves. They're different from each other. You can tell their dialogue, even when, you know, one's not using slang. Yeah. Are very different. Yep. Something that TV shows and things, movies do, is they actually have different writers write people's lines. Oh, that's interesting. So it's totally different, Phil. Like, yeah, so they, they have a meeting people. about what they want to say, and then in some, yeah, like, so, like character or whatever main mm-hmm. character will have a, a person that writes their dialogue mm-hmm. to make it sound like yeah. them and somebody else will write the bad guy's dialogue just so to make sure that they are very different yeah you can't do that Mm-mm. you're one person unless um, you're co-writing unless you're co-writing which i don't suggest doing but <laughs> some people do it successfully but it's not it's not something maybe I'm don't start with that don't do that starting out yeah um, you need to find your own verse, voice first. Exactly. Exactly my point is that. Um, but you have to find multiple characters' voices as well. And I think that's important because sometimes dialogue on a page can feel all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not good. Yeah. Yep. So I would say characterization, 
important. Yeah. The way they act, the way they feel, what they say. Even if they were both to say the same, make the same point, they would use different they, words. Yes, they would. And they would be specific to that person. Yeah. Okay, so takeaway two. Takeaway two. Um, I'm actually going to point out pacing in this one, but for a different reason. <laughs> okay. Um, it's much slower. It is a slow movie. Um, I mean, it's a very thoughtful movie. It's not boring. It is not. And they manage not to be boring. Yeah. It's interesting the whole time mm-hmm. without crazy intensity. Yeah. It's like the um, King's Speech. King's Speech is yes. also a very thoughtful, slow movie. Yes. But it's also not boring. Yes. So, I mean, honestly, most authors are going to be writing, especially self-published ones, they they tend to be in more action-y genres, mm-hmm. genre fiction in general. Yeah, that's commercial fiction. That's, you know, what sells better than literary. Yes. But that doesn't mean you can't learn things from literary fiction about craft, yeah. and about what to do when they're not fighting to be interesting. Yeah, like the emotional tone that you set and then how you have emotional climaxes versus physical fighting climaxes. Exactly. If you can learn to do both, like maybe you're really good at blowing stuff up, but if you can also write the other parts well, mm-hmm. you will be light years ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Because I've read plenty of books where the fight scenes are great, but I don't care. Yeah. Cause they, and I've seen cause plenty of movies no other, the same. Yeah. There's no connection. It's like there's the no special, emotional arc. How many movies have you gone to just because of the special effects and then <laughs> like Skyline? It, but it felt hollow. You don't rewatch it. Um, Maybe you do. Godzilla but, 2. I mean, the new Godzilla. Yeah. Terrible movie. Um, <laughs> I can really wail on that one. Um, Pacific Rim 2. Oh, which, <laughs> which, yeah, we need to do. Um but my point is, is that you can visually do whatever you want these mm-hmm. days. This is a movie thing, but we can relate it to books. Um, visually, in a movie, you can do whatever you want if you have the budget. Mm-hmm. Now that that can happen, writers are lazy. Yeah. We've um, made that point before. We have made this point before. But it's important. I, it is very important. It is important to remove all of the explodiness and still be interesting. If you can do that, then you have a good book. Yeah, I agree. So I'm not sure if that's pacing exactly, but... Um, it is pacing. I mean, we did talk about, you know, if you aren't having explodey, then the emotional beats need to be spot on. Yes, they do. And the character the, um, the, growth and yeah. the way they interact with each other. So, I mean, this is a good movie to watch for that. Romances are good, you know, good movies to watch. The good ones, because that's all they have is the emotional beats. This is a this is a bromance. Because they, they, they break up and then get back together. It's very similar. Or there's like it a is. betrayal, and yeah. then one person realizes the that the great, other person is really yes. dedicated, and then yep. that makes a, you know. One person has to make, what is it, when the great, great bit of action, the great leap of re, to remend or to mend the relationship. Yes. That was Forrester. Like, Jamal was not, Jamal was in the wrong, but he apologized, and Forrester went way out of, he freaked out. Anyway, so my takeaways are, I'm going to say, this is a book, this is a movie about writers and movies about writers. I love them, but books about writers, they break the fourth wall for me because I feel like the writers writing about themselves because they have to, they're writing their experience, their passion there. And I'm not saying not to do it. Just recognize that it breaks the fourth wall for a lot of writers, readers. And that's not just me. That was me before I wanted to become a writer. When I read a book about a writer, like the main character is a writer, I was like, I wonder how much of this is the author. And it made me be more aware of the author. Like half of Stephen King's uh, main characters. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Also happen to be writers. Writers. 
Yes, because he understands them. But I'm just, I'm. It's just something to be aware of. It's just a takeaway from this movie. Is just be aware that if you write a main character who is a writer, it breaks the fourth wall for readers. Try to make them very different from yourself. I guess. Yeah. But I don't know how, I mean, people are going to still read that and see how much you put into it. So they're going to take away what they want. And yeah, even if you make it seriously different, then readers will still be like, is this how the author really is? And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying don't do it. Just recognize that I, it's just, it's going to be a potential. It can be a crutch. It can be a crutch. And it can because pull. you want to write, you know, write what you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you write about writers. Yeah. Or your character is a writer. Yeah, and, and then... it can pull the readers out of the story depending on how you handle it. Mm-hmm. So I do enjoy reading them occasionally, but it sometimes just feels very transparent. Lazy, cliche. No, Mary not Sue. lazy. No, more just transparent. It makes me a little uncomfortable, honestly, because I'm like, is the writer putting herself or himself into the story? How much, how personal is this to the writer? So like trials and things like that, the character goes through and like, how personal is this? Sometimes I don't want to know about their author. I just want to read a good story. Okay. So that's my first takeaway. Then my second one, there's a scene where Jamal is in the apartment and Forrester pulls out two typewriters and he's like, he's like, right. And he tries to get Jamal to write. And he's like hounding him for several hours, right? And Jamal can't write. And one thing they don't address in this movie, Jamal writes everything by hand in notebooks. That's his process. That's how he comes up with his ideas. And that's how things flow. And Forrester's trying to get Jamal to write in a write with a t- typewriter, which is completely different to him. It's not his creative process. And, and Forrester is forcing him to overcome that and getting mad at him for not overcoming it. And so my my thing with this is if you're changing your process, you need to give yourself patience because it takes time to relearn and remaster the ability to write when you're changing your writing style. So like typing versus dictating, you know, it was it's a pretty easy transition w- when you have to do it because you broke your finger. Uh, but there's still a huge break trans- your fingers. Yeah, break That's, your fingers. That is our advice. That's our take or get carpal tunnel or Yes, our takeaway. No, but seriously, when you absolutely have to, you you get forced to do it, but the transition is still there and it's still important to give yourself time and be patient with yourself and recognize that the creativity comes from your brain, not from your fingers. And a lot of authors, they're so resistant to dictating because they're like typing. It's, It's all I can do. I can't write a story without my fingers. I'm like, actually you can. Um, people wrote stories by pen. They didn't type because there weren't computers or typewriters. And, and you did that. You had to do that. You know, before that, they, they dictated everything. It was a, yeah. Storytellers. I'm trying to think of oral history, oral history. Yes. And so, you know, dictating is one form of writing and it is incredibly, rewarding for me. I love dictating. I absolutely love it because the it's just so like the stories, the images, everything just flows when I'm talking. And it didn't at first, it did take me a little bit of time, but if if you I would say you need to be prepared for something to happen, then the number one cause of writers to stop writing is carpal tunnel and stress, back pain and things like that. So don't be opposed to learning a new process, but when you have to learn a new process, be patient with yourself. So, um, yeah, I think that's it for today. Uh, do you have any final comments? No, it, this is a good movie. This is in our good movie category. It is. It is a very, very good movie. It's not the sort of movie I would have watched voluntarily. <laughs> did, what, did you watch it for the first time with me? Yes. That was a few years ago, mm-hmm. and we've watched it several times since. Two or three. Not yeah. very often, but yes, it's... 
It's I one forgot that, how much I enjoyed it when I watched it again. Actually, I was I didn't even write any notes down. I was actually just watching the movie mm-hmm. for the sake of watching the movie. It's it's one that I like to watch about once a year, once every two years, just because it's just it's familiar to me. A writer, and then I love the I just love those two scenes, the BMW, and then when Forrester comes in and basically puts Crawford in his place. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, so that's it for today. If you have any questions, send me an email at andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com. And uh, we're still trying to figure out our Patreon support stuff. I think for now we're just going to not worry so much about that. Um, Yeah, so email me if you have any questions. We'll get all that figured out. And um, we need to do a marketing episode where we answer questions in the future. And yeah, uh, we'll talk to everybody later. Bye. Bye. Bye.